Hi there, my name is Dr. Kim Farina and I'm a veterinarian and I'm the host of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis, provided to you by Zoetis Pet Care. Welcome to season three, we're so glad you're here. In season one, we learned about ProHeart 12 with the active ingredient moxidectin. And in season two, it was all about Semperica Trio, a combination of moxidectin, pyrantal, and seralaner. This season, we will focus on veterinary leadership. Now, maybe you're thinking, what about the Zoetis products? Well, hold on. This season is a bit different than other seasons, but just as informative. I promise you. In this season, we'll give you some great insight about leadership specifically for the veterinary profession. If you are a veterinarian who wants to become a leader, a current leader who wants to sharpen your skills, or you're a veterinarian who wants to explore career pathways that involve leadership, then you have come to the right place. This season, four episodes, four extraordinary guests. They have stories to tell, advice you don't want to miss, and we'll definitely laugh because we have a couple of quizzes thrown in the mix to test your wit. One last thing. You don't have to listen to the episodes in order, but they do have a flow, so it may be helpful for you to listen to them sequentially. Right out of the gate, we have an extraordinary guest for you today, Dr. Jessica Trimble of Fuzzy Pet Health. We're glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. This is great. <laughs> well, this season of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis is about leadership, and you are Chief Veterinary Officer of Fuzzy Pet Health, a company that offers in-home and virtual care veterinary services. So tell us about the company and what you do in your position. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, and because we're a startup, I feel like saying anything about the company it was different a month ago, and it'll be different two months from now, right? We change so frequently, but essentially Fuzzy provides, as you said, in-home veterinary care, uh, but with the very interesting side of telehealth and virtual care, and really focusing on human-centric uh, digital methods to improve pet earn engagement, to improve uh, pet health outcomes, and also to increase access to care. Uh, so access to care is a huge focus for the business to try and help people that can't get into the clinic. You know, can we come to their house? Can we come to their office? Can we connect with them through a screen? Uh, and so I helped uh, to found the company back in 2016 sort of worked my way up through various positions and then uh, was given the opportunity to uh, sit on the executive team as a CVO. And it's certainly not what I anticipated doing with my DVM, you know, being on a, an exec team in Silicon Valley with a bunch of tech guys. Uh, but it's been one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. I've learned a ton. I'm so glad that I've ended up down this path. Yeah, it sounds great. So, but, but let's start at the beginning. Okay, because you were raised in Illinois on a small farm with livestock and other animals and worked at your family's veterinary clinic during the summer. When did you know you wanted to become a veterinarian? Oh, I think I was probably like most other vets where there was really never any other option. You know, you just kind of always know from the time you're a kid that that's what you want to be. Uh, and I tried to give myself the due diligence. Like I tried to go down the path of maybe I want to be an astronaut or an architect. And I would dabble in it for a while and I'd get bored and I'd end up right back into, yeah, I'm going to be a veterinarian. Uh, my aunt was letting me scrub in on surgeries when I was in high school and my friends would come back and, oh, what'd you do this weekend? And I helped amputate a leg and I thought it was great. They didn't quite think so, so much. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've always wanted to be in the profession. 
And you went to veterinary school at University of Illinois when you graduated. What was your first job? So my first job was just a, a regular little GP clinic uh, in the Monterey Bay, this cute little town called Hollister, a little ranching town. Uh, I was looking for something a little bit more like home, you know, small town, farming folks, mixed animal. It was something I was very comfortable with. Um, and it was a, a great clinic to get started at, um, sort of a, an easy way into the profession for sure. Mm -hmm. And then you moved on to VIP San Francisco Wellness Center. But how did you connect with Fuzzy Pet Health? How did this go? Yeah, so it's all kind of a, a weird roundabout. Um, I actually, I wanted to leave my practice in Hollister and I had wanted to backpack my way through the Sierras. Um, and so I had talked to VIP and I asked him if I could do vaccine clinics up and down the Sierras. And they said, well, Yes, but we have this wellness center that's opening in San Francisco. Would you like to move there instead and be the, the vet there? And so, of course, I did it and uh, ran that center for a couple of years. And then one night, the current CEO of Fuzzy um, came in with his own Cocker Spaniel, who's just the grumpiest creature who hates my guts entirely. Um, but he brought her in and he just sort of started asking questions. Uh, he was a tech guy. He had just finished up with a startup. He'd had a terrible experience in an emergency room with his dog and knew that there had to be some sort of better way to get healthcare um, than sitting in an ER for three hours for something that was relatively non-emergent. And so he said, hey, you're a veterinarian. You want to have a cup of coffee? <laughs> and so that's literally how it started. It's just a totally fortuitous ran into to some people. And so um, my husband, who's also a vet, was with me at the time. And so the three of us, um, plus one other guy, sort of got together and just started throwing ideas at each other and figuring out uh, what we could do to sort of fix that, not fix, but work toward that access to care issue that we all felt pretty passionate about. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's such a, such a needed... Um spot, you know, some, such a such a need in the profession. So this is excellent. I'm curious, did you ever think you would be managing other veterinarians and healthcare teams? Like, did you ever think that's what you would be doing as part of your job? Not to the extent that I have. Uh, I sort of assumed that I'd be back in small town Illinois. Um, you know, my, my big idea of success was to own a practice. Um, you know, to own a small community, small town practice. And I think at, at one point I was managing approximately 60 veterinarians, assistants and technicians in between New York and California, all doing house call and telehealth. And um, yeah, never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would be uh, not just managing that many people, but also helping to run a tech startup at the same time. Yeah. I mean, and tell us, what is it like to lead veterinary teams in the digital space? Is is there a difference? Uh, yes and no. I really loved it uh, because I'm also the sort of person that when I'm leading a team, I don't like to tell people what to do. I like to present people with a problem and help them sort of work through the steps so that they can solve their own problems. I believe very strongly in autonomy with guardrails. And so if I could sit down with my people and say, here's your guardrails, like, how can you fix your problem within that? 
um, I found I was able to manage a whole lot of people without actually managing people. I was just sort of, you know, giving them a few rules um, to play within, and then they did the rest themselves. I love that autonomy with guardrails. Is but is there anything unique, like about leading teams who are remote? Remote. Um, yes, in that they, in my opinion, they are that much more autonomous because they are sitting at home in their office and they could easily step away and go do their laundry or go do grocery shopping, right? You have to have a level of trust because I knew that my vets who were doing house calls, I knew exactly what house they were at at exactly what time, exactly where they were and what they were doing. So with the remote workers, uh, you sort of had to find, I guess, a little bit more intrinsic motivation for them to ensure that they really loved what they did um, and really felt passionate about having their rear in that seat in front of the computer for eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, because, it, you know, it can drag on, as we all know at this point, when we've been in 12 Zoom calls a day every day for the last three months, you just got to get up and move around. And so finding ways to engage them, certainly um, and finding those little intrinsic motivation pieces, which are different for every single person, uh, I think was a little bit more key than for the people that I had face-to-face uh, -face contact with every single day. Yeah, I understand. I get it. All right. Well, actually, it is time to take a break from our interview to test your knowledge in a pause and reflect the Zoetis quiz. Now, uh -oh. no, 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 don't. <laughs> no. Look, so, so we have quizzes on these shows and um, it's a new type of quiz. And so we're going to see how it flies. I'm trying it out on you. It's a how to survive quiz. And I, I thought this would be perfect for you. Since I understand you were a dog musher in Alaska and you lived on a glacier. I did, yes. <laughs> which was probably very cool and cold, right? It actually wasn't that cold. We were there for the summers. And so, yeah, oh. we were living on 30 feet of snow, but sometimes it was 60 degrees and sunny. Ah, but it was cool, though. It was so admit, cool. That's yes. So cool. So cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's how this works. I'm going to read you a scenario and you tell me, based on the scientific evidence, what is the most effective way to survive the situation? It's going to be multiple choice, so, so that should okay. hopefully help you out. Um, <laughs> don't stress, though, because there's nothing to lose. Uh, there's nothing to win either. I have a bell uh, to, to make you feel good. And uh, our producer does have some cheering sound effects. So uh, so let's let's do it. Bring it on. Quiz question number one. This is tropical survival. If you are chased by a crocodile, the best way to survive the encounter is A, run in a zigzag pattern, B, sprint as fast as you can and climb a tree, C, climb on top of the reptile, or D, tease it by making fun of its short, stumpy legs. <laughs> uh I really want to answer C just because I want to see someone like jump on the back of one and kind of surf one, but I'll go with A. The zigzag seems logical. Ah, logical, but that's the wrong answer. You actually oh, no. want to sprint as fast as you can and climb up that tree. That's oh, no like. kidding. I would yeah. think that they could climb. Womp womp. <laughs> There's a reason I'm not a, a reptile veterinarian. 
All right, quiz question number two. You are stranded in the ocean. A shark attacks you. Now, yes, I understand it's highly unlikely that a shark would attack you because we know shark attacks rarely happen. But if one were to do so, you should A, bop it in the nose, B, poke it in the eye, C, do your best and break out into the latest moves from TikTok, or D, start humming the Jaws theme song. Ooh, I feel like I've heard both option A and B before. Um, and really, if I was getting beaten or eaten by a shark, I think I would just be like punching everything I can reach. But let's go with bop it in the nose. Ah, that's not Still, really... though, Is it the eye? No, it's the eye. Poke eye it in the eye. Many people think it's the nose, but I, after extensive research, it's you bop it, you really like bop it, punch it right in the eye to get away. Who is doing this research? Like punching sharks and poking them in the eyes to see what happens. <laughs> There's research out there. It appears for everything. So what can I say? But all right. So, wow. Hmm. Let's see if you can redeem yourself with um, number three. <laughs> I'm not doing great here. <laughs> all right. Number three. If you are in a polar climate, all of these things can be ways to prevent snow blindness, except A, wear high quality sunglasses. B, make a pair of goggles out of tree bark. C, craft eye protection from cardboard. Or D, dive into the snow and make a snow angel. Which one is going to not protect you from snow Which blindness? Which one won't prevent? I'm going to guess jumping into the snow and making a snow angel. Very good. Hey, there we go. <laughs> yes. I actually had to wear super heavy duty goggles when I lived on the glacier just for snow blindness. All right. So th th this was a piece of cake for you. That, that one, yes. But I'd never fought sharks or ran away from crocodiles before. So. All right. Well, well <laughs> hey, double, double bell for that. Excellent. Right. I actually think you, you have done enough surviving for today, including surviving this quiz. So um, thank you for being very cooperative. And you know, let's let's get back to talking about leadership. What made you decide this career pathway of telehealth and virtual health? We talked about it earlier, but expand on that. Yeah, so I think it, it all sort of started with actually when I was working for a VIP in the Wellness Center. Um, when I had my first job out of Hollister, it was a little ranch town. We barely had cell phone signal. Telehealth wasn't even on the radar. But once I moved to San Francisco, um, obviously it's one of the most connected cities in the world. And it's also full of people who expected to be able to have a live chat or a text or an email and get responses right away. And so because my clientele had those expectations, uh, it sort of pushed me to looking into it or figuring out how we could work that into our clinic. But additionally, uh, where my clinic was, right, in downtown San Francisco, I don't know if you know San Francisco at all, but it was yeah. right where the Mission, the Castro, and the Tenderloin came together. So it was just the most entertaining group of clientele you could possibly want, um, but also a group of clientele that you know, in the mission, you've got all your hipsters that, you know, they know they have all the latest tech. Um, but then you've got the tenderloin. And this is, you know, these are people that are living on the streets. They are homeless. They don't have access to care. And so figuring out something that could help both sides of my clientele uh, turned out to be telehealth. Um, so I could help the people that needed to talk to me immediately just because that's what they expected because they're all 
you know, connect to millennials and then be able to help my my people who they just need a simple question answered because they can't afford an office visit. Uh, and so it was really wonderful to figure out sort of that balance and how to help those two demographics with one solution. And that's where I really started getting interested in it. And then when Fuzzy came along, uh, you know, we'd put just like a little chat box on our website, um, sort of on a whim, you know, oh, people want to ask us questions about our, you know, services. People just wanted to ask questions about their pets and their pets' health. And this was back when telehealth was still sort of a dirty word. It was looked down upon in most of the profession. Uh, but we started doing it because that's what you do in Silicon Valley. You push push the envelope a bit. And uh, very quickly, it was obvious that our clients that use telehealth were happier, their pets were healthier. Um, we had far, far more engagement from them. You know, we were seeing them or talking to them sometimes twice monthly versus that 1.6 times per year on average stat. And so it really showed us very early on how much potential there was in veterinary telehealth. And so that sort of became my baby from there is how can we build out a, a virtual care system that not only benefits our patients, but also can help to increase our revenue and be good for the business. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to dive deeper into leadership. So what skills are important for a veterinarian to have to successfully manage other veterinarians? We just talked about, you know, just kind of from the pet owner side, but, but talk about what it's like, you know, for the veterinarians. Yeah, it was a very fun learning experience, we'll say, uh, because certainly it wasn't something that I had a ton of experience doing. But I think the first thing that I learned was that veterinarians need rules as well as autonomy. So rules in that we all are taught that a high, high BUN and high creatinine equals kidney disease or, you know, this x-ray equals this. We have these very black and white sort of rules that we follow for all of medicine. And many veterinarians with their super type A personalities want to have the same sort of rules in their life. They want to know exactly when they're working and exactly what the schedule is and exactly who they're working with and exactly what patients they're seeing. And so helping them to figure that out on their own and not have me tell it to them. So again, that autonomy piece, they're all grownups, they're all doctors, they're all adults. They don't want someone to micromanage them. And so for me, it all came about to how do I give you the tools that you need to be successful in your job so that I can keep doing my job without having to babysit you or micromanage you because then nobody's happy. And I think that was where we really found our happy place was sitting down with this big group of veterinarians and we would have a meeting about every other week to once a month where we would all just sit down either digitally or in person and say, what went right? What went wrong? What can I do to make your job easier? And so for me, it very much became a position of servant leadership. I was not telling anybody what to do. I was taking their feedback of what needs to be done, figuring out how it worked for the business, and then coming back and telling them, well, yes, we can do this because, or no, we can't do this because. Um, but I think that is really the, the critical part is it shouldn't be a oh, I guess a hierarchical, I'm up here at the top and I'm telling you what to do, but rather we're all on the same team. I happen to have this title of manager, but really we're all doctors, we're all adults. Let's work together to figure this out. Um, and 
people really responded to that much better than anyone telling them what to do. It's all about uh, figuring out people's why. Yeah. I mean, you sound like a wonderful person to work for. And, <laughs> and, and this idea of servant leadership is, is phenomenal. But how does a veterinarian acquire the skills to do that? Well, I think part of it is learning and watching. I think part of it might be honestly some some personality style too, because I know a lot of really wonderful veterinarians who uh, are great managers, but not necessarily great leaders, right? So managers, I can set your schedule. I can tell you, you know, where you need to be at what time or make sure that the drugs are in stock. Um, but that's very different than leading. And so for leadership in particular, I think for me, the skills worked out well because I'm a very sort of laid back person. I hate confrontation and I really just want to help uh, coach people, really. I, I like to help other people to really just get to their full potential um, without, I guess, personal promotion. Um, I don't really care if I move up through the hierarchy, but I want to see my team improve in everything that they do. And so for me, I think that was just kind of a personality thing. That's just always been the sort of person that I am. I don't like being in the spotlight, but I like helping my team to grow together. And so for those people that, you know, like being front and center, you know, maybe servant leadership isn't quite as easy for them. For me, it came very naturally just because it's my, my general personality. Otherwise, but I did take some management courses that helped immensely um, and have read a lot of books, um, <laughs> a lot of books about how to be a good leader or, you know, how to provide autonomy and a sense of purpose to your people. I'm curious because if we put personality aside, because for our listeners and who are, who are hearing you and saying, oh, I want to be just like her. Mm -hmm. You read books, you took classes. Are there any other experiences a veterinarian should have if they wanted to go down this pathway of becoming a servant leader? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, I've attended a lot of the, the AVMA veterinary leadership conventions, and I thought that those were great. They do have a lot of classes and courses about uh, being a servant leader and um, just leadership in general. Um, but I think a lot of the things that I did that helped me were more non-veterinary. Um, so community service-based. I was heavily involved in 4-H for a lot of my life. And 4-H really teaches you to care for your community and to, you know, be a philanthropist or you know, help others before yourself. Um, and then I did take a wonderful general management course that focused a little bit on leadership um, and really pushed that as well about the difference between management and leadership and the importance of not being a leader who heavily manages, if that makes sense. So kind of figuring out the differentiation between the two was a really important step for me. Well, you mentioned, you know, 4-H and the community and so forth. And I, I want to go back to your beginning because 
can working as an associate in clinical practice be beneficial? Because here's what I'm thinking. Can care and management of pets just naturally transfer over to care and management of people? Yes, absolutely. You know, if we think about a client with a diabetic dog, right? Say I have two clients. One, I say, give 10 units of insulin every day and come back in two weeks. And the other one I say, here's a glucometer. This is why it's important for blood glucose to be between X and Y. Here's what to look for. Here's everything you need. Now go forth and let me know if you have any issues and we'll check back in two weeks. I guarantee you that the one that I prepared properly, that I educated, that I taught them the why behind the number of units, that dog's going to do way better than the person who just was like, well, I don't know what 10 means. I'll do 11 today, you know? So <laughs> it's it's all about uh, educating and also providing them a way to keep themselves accountable, I think, as well. So as an associate, learning to coach your clients or learning to really educate and teach the why versus just commanding or directing them to do something really can help get you started on that path. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's terrific. I actually want to talk more about this and some leadership challenges, but first, you know what? It's time for another quiz. Oh no. <laughs> This is, an, this is a, another new quiz from Pause and Reflect with Zoetis. Um, and so we're going to see how well you know your idioms. Okay, so Ooh. an idiom is a phrase or expression that typically presents a figurative or non-literal meaning attached to the phrase. So I'm going to read you the idiom, and you tell me what it means. Again, there are no prizes. I've got the bell. But just think. Here's what I'm thinking. You could impress your old high school you know, English teacher, maybe. If you know these, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Right, I'm going to start off easy, so, so don't worry. So question number one is, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. What does that mean? A, we have to pay a toll. B, we need to visit a dentist soon, you know, for bridges. Hmm. C, we'll talk about it later. Or D, we're going to get out of the car and walk. Uh, I would go with, we're going to talk about it later. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> All right. Very good. We'll deal with it or talk about it later. Excellent. Question number two. When someone says you missed the boat, what are they really saying? A, it's too late. B, you fell in the water. C, you can't see what's in front of you. Or D, the boat's docked at another pier. You know, honestly, I think all of those could be applicable in their own sort of weird metaphorical way. But we'll say, uh, was it A on that one? The, the boat's already gone or? Uh, you mean it's too late? It's too late. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> Very good. Nice. Man, Dr. Trimble's rocking this. All right. Here we go. Question number three. When someone is the salt of the earth, what does that mean? A, he or she has white hair. B, the person is morally sound, genuine. C, the person is a geologist. Or D, the person has an electrolyte imbalance. <laughs> I mean, D makes sense from a medical perspective, but we'll go with B on that one. <laughs> You're right. Yes, the person is morally sound and genuine. Very good. You, you rock that. That was great. All right. 
Let's get back to leadership. What is the biggest challenge in leading a team? Ooh, I think in the team that I've been leading, the biggest challenge for me was figuring out how to properly lead people in different places of their life. You know, I had 18-year-old veterinary assistants all the way to you know, veterinarians in their 60s who obviously graduated veterinary school before I was even born. And so trying to find ways to connect with such a huge range of um, not just demographic, but also career goals and um, personal issues, because the amount of times that, you know, your personal life comes into work, obviously we try not to let it, but it happens all the time. And so, you know, having a, and you know, this happened, a veterinary assistant who, uh, her boyfriend broke up with her and she suddenly became homeless. You know, what do you, what do you do with a, how do you help that person? When at the same time, you've got a veterinarian who, um, you know, is not happy with me because I'm trying to tell them that they need to, uh, you know, improve their medical record keeping. So it's just having such a wide range of people to try to uh, care for in your team and help them to succeed and really get engaged. That's probably been the biggest challenge for me. So with all these different types of people, you know, you, as you said, generational differences, mm -hmm. career goal differences. How do you overcome these then? How do you overcome these challenges? So for me, it's I don't overcome them. I help them to overcome their own challenge. So I sit down with them and it, it, it almost becomes a, a therapy session of sorts. You know, let's talk about the problem. What can you do to solve your problem? What can I do to help you solve your problem? Let's create a stepwise fashion so that we can both end up where we both want to be. And so again, it comes down to, I'm not solving anybody's problem, but rather just sitting down with them and helping them to think through how to solve their own problems. Again, within these sort of guardrails that we have created within the business. Um, and so I think that's been a little bit difficult too, is, you know, as a vet, we just want to, we want to solve problems. We want to cure diseases. We want to, you know, cut off the cancer, but sometimes you can't, you just have to sit back and let them figure it out on their own and just sort of be that guide for them. Yeah. Well, you're, you're mentioning these therapy sessions. What do you enjoy most about your job? Like, how is it most rewarding? Oh, it's most rewarding when you have that person who is just struggling, struggling, struggling. And you finally get that light bulb to click and you finally get them to see, oh, that's what you wanted or that's how I can succeed. And then they become just a rock star. Those were my favorite moments for sure is to, to figure out what makes that person tick, what their why is, what they're really passionate about, and then give them the opportunity to dive into that and just succeed. Yeah, I could do that all day. Uh, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. I can, I can imagine we're going to end this episode and you're going to get a whole bunch of emails and phone calls and saying, Dr. Trimble, I want to work for you. How do I begin? <laughs> I'm even like, wait, forget this. I'm going, I'm going to go work for you. This is great. <laughs> so unfortunately we are out of time and I thank you so much, Dr. Trimble for joining us today, sharing your knowledge. It was so fun. It was great. So thank you. 
Oh, my pleasure. It's been super fun. Although I realized that I need to uh, brush up on my like wild animal survival skills. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case, you know, you never know. So that's right. All right. Well, in our next episode, we are going to talk to a guest who has expertise in a whole lot of things. We're talking about deception, detection, body language, neuro leadership. And we're going to answer the question, can you be a quiet leader and still be a good leader? Hmm. The answer will surprise you. Also, more quizzes, more stories. I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this has been the first episode of season three of Pause and Reflect with Zoetis. Episode two is coming up.